What? We need popsicles. Boris! We need popsicles. I'm sorry I interrupted your yawn, but it was too much fun to put my finger on your tongue. Everybody, this is Daniel. Oh, and this is Daniel. <laughs> and this is Carla. And we are Hoosier Homicide, a true crime podcast by Hoosiers for Hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. Some people don't introduce themselves at all. So it's when people start listening for the first time, they're like, Who the fuck are these people? That's the problem. I think that sometimes when we're sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? Well, well, we got existential right then. Yep. We could start it like. Like way different, like like with my name's Carla. <laughs> I'm not gonna beatbox. When you're sliding into home and you feel something foam diarrhea, <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> so the other. I heard that on uh, a movie with Steve Martin. Yeah, what is the he, movie? The parent. Uh, I think it's called The Parenthood. But it's got, um, I mean, it's got a huge cast. It has Rick Moranis and a bunch of other fucking people in it. <laughs> that made me laugh really hard. Oh, uh, Keanu Reeves is in it. Joaquin oh, Phoenix yeah. is in it. All his child actors. I love Keanu. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking of all, like, obnox- obnoxious childhood songs. And I think I can't sing them. Like, they're too offensive. Really? Yeah. This is a song that never <laughs> ends. Yes. And it goes on and exactly. on, my friends. <laughs> there was one that was like, Hello, mother. Hello, father. I'm writing you. Hello, mother. Mm-hmm. Hello, father. I've been smoking. Please, six mosquitoes. <laughs> really bother. I've been smoking marijuana. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> Crack is good. Coke is better. I'm so fucked up. I can't write this letter. <laughs> this is why, why is that childhood song for you? <laughs> I don't know. Where did you grow up? I'm not sure where this happened at, but I remember that. Hmm. <laughs> What's funny is there's a lot of times I think you're a little bit more foul mouthed than I am. Yeah. Yeah. And you weren't allowed to cuss growing up. No. Not the, exactly that I was, but as an adult, okay, let me put it this way. As an adult, it's been kind of, well, you're an adult. That's my favorite thing about being an adult. With you, Same. it's like you still don't cuss in front of your dad. No, oh, I do. I try not to say the F word in front of dad. I, I did today. We went to breakfast. Because he'd be very, he's very offended by the F word. I don't know why it is, because <laughs> he never said it in front of us, I guess. It was like. Yeah. I've heard him say it I've heard, I've heard mom say it, and that's, well, that's, that's a, like that's a weird a mom thing. and I's relationship was like solidified when we could just cuss in front of one another, and it's not like, oh, you're going to be in trouble for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck school, mom. Fuck you. <laughs> oh. Oh, that, okay. Okay. Let me think if I can, if I can tell this joke, it'll be funny. <laughs> so a, um, a preacher's wife goes to the store and walks up to the counter and says, uh, what's the best ham you have? And the guy reaches over and goes, well, we just got this ham in from Germany. It's called goddamn ham. <laughs> okay, well, take it. So he takes it home and uh, sitting there making it. And the, the, pre- the preacher gets home from work and walks up and says, honey, what, what are we having for dinner tonight? She goes, oh, I got us some, some new goddamn ham. <laughs> what? Oh, no, it's ham. It's from Germany. Here, just try it. Oh, oh. Oh my, that goddamn ham is good. Okay, well, go sit down. So they're they're sitting. They they go to sit down for uh, dinner, and uh, preacher looks over to his wife and says, "Honey, pass the goddamn ham over here." And little Johnny looks up and goes, "That's the spirit pop. Pass me the fucking potatoes." <laughs> <laughs> Got the 
dumb. Go to dumb. My yeah. dad told me that joke. Your dad has some good jokes. <laughs> yeah, pass the, the half fucking the, potatoes. The half the part of your dad telling the joke is how funny he thinks it is while but he's it is telling funny. it, though. It's like <laughs> but there's, well, that's when, yeah, when we're at the race or, or something and he's been <laughs> no, drinking. No, I've been and... at home when he's like trying to trying to withhold his laughter so he can finish the joke. That's yeah. like always a good joke because you can just get the people laughing before you yeah. even get to the punchline. The best one is when he tells the joke, how did prehistoric women jack off dinosaurs? Oh, he runs. He runs. He, he goes running back <laughs> and forth. Like yeah. Their arms wide open. But why would they need to do <laughs> that? Why? <laughs> I don't know. That's a joke from IU in the seventies. Oh so. man, what a place to be! What a place to be! There was another one that we would say without cursing. Shut the front door, you mother father, before I kick your dictionary, you son of a bench. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, none of mine were like that. I'm just thinking like, yeah, R-I-T-T-E-R-S, Ritter's Custard is the best. Like, that's all I got. <laughs> I don't know if I've got any more. Oh, the, the kids' songs? Um, okay. Hang on. Was it joy to the world, the teacher's dead. We barbecued her head. What? What happened to the body? We flushed it down, down the, the body. body. And around and around it goes. <laughs> yep, there was that one. Yep. That's so morbid. <laughs> there's, there's more. There's the never laugh when a hearse goes by song, but I'm not going to sing that whole one. For you may be the next to die. Why don't I know any of these? <laughs> I've, been, I've been shed... A new light. I wish I could go back to school now. <laughs> no, you don't. No. Well, speaking of cursing, I went to Slipknot Friday night. Yes, that's what it was. And I was like, are you done, done being screamed at? In an artistic way, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> my eardrums, the inside of my ear canal was numb mm -hmm. after the show. That's, a, that's an experience. You had good seats though, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We were like 20 rows from the stage or something. Hell yeah. So... Very I couldn't. Good. I couldn't tell you a Slipknot song. No, I could identify one that that is a member of Slipknot it was, from their mask. It was. They wear masks. Yeah, they're fucked up looking. Oh, what why? I don't know anything. Dildo on his nose. Cool. Cool. <laughs> That's cool, man. It, it was a packed house too. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah, you couldn't fit another person in there. Dang. Then the next night they had Hootie and the Blowfish. Then the next night tonight they've got Luke Bryan. It's just like very diverse. And you went to Mallow Run. I went to the I went to a winery and mm. saw my favy band, Rod Tough Curls in the Bench Press. Similar to Slipknot. My band's better. <laughs> similar as in not. So how much did it cost to see your band? Fifteen dollars. You paid a little bit more, right? Yes. Yes. That's okay. I also bought tickets to see the Lumineers this week, so I like them. Yeah. Nothing will top the show I saw. Explosions, perhaps fireworks, not. Perhaps a bat not. on fire. fire, a bat on fire hitting a beer keg. Perhaps not. <laughs> I like it. Okay, well, let's not forget the Jonas Brothers will be here next month, so I'm pretty excited. <laughs> I actually can't contain it. <laughs> so I like that new song, though. The, their whole al new album is just fantastic. One of them married Lady yeah. Stark. Yes. Yes. Married into royalty. Sometimes it be like that. Okay, I don't think there's a whole lot of else. I haven't looked to see if we had any good or bad reviews. <laughs> so it was probably better that I just didn't look, you know. <laughs> but sometimes they're fucking funny, man. Yeah, sometimes they think are. Sometimes they hurt my feelings. <laughs> they do. I'm like, oh, I man. cry I when cry I'm alone. I cry myself to sleep. <laughs> Boris looks pretty comfy right there. Hey, I don't understand how, but whatever. Whatever. Has okay. his legs on the floor and his torso on... On my body, on the couch. Let's see if I can get a picture. All the crap ever. <laughs> you know, you to make a picture and you go, oh wow, we have shit everywhere. Yes. Oh no. That's like every picture ever taken in this house. You know what? Fuck you, mean. The connection is trying to remember things from your childhood. Really? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I feel about some of this. This was this is a Dateline episode. This was recommended to me from Courtney from the Cult of Domesticity. Ooh. She's always on the lookout for anything that says Indiana on any documentary or something she's listening to, and she'll send it to me. And I was like, thank you for doing some of my work. Because <laughs> You know, it can't okay. just be anything and everything. It's like, did they say the word Indiana? Please just say it. Okay, do the thing. All right. <laughs> June 2nd, 2012. 
That's the day prosecutors allege 27-year-old Jared Ingram stabbed his 28-year-old ex-wife Sierra Ingram three times in the neck in her upstairs bedroom with a 7-inch butcher knife as their 6-year-old son and 7-year-old daughter waited in his car outside her apartment at the village on Cherokee in Columbus, Georgia. Damn. There's a lot in that one sentence. Sorry. But that's what they allege. He killed his ex-wife. Jared and Sierra met in 2002 when they were both about 19 years old and in the military at Fort Gordon near Augusta. They reportedly conceived their first child on their first date. Lovely. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Oops. And the military told them to get married or you can be stationed separately. Like, you, they don't owe you anything. Like, just because you have a kid together doesn't mean we have to station you together. It's if you're married. So pick one or the other. And so after three months of dating, they got in a cab to go to the courthouse to get married. And on the way, they discovered that their cab driver turned out to be an ordained minister. So she married them on the steps of her church. <laughs> their cab driver. That's, you know, that's a good story. That's, that's yeah. quirky. I like that. I do. Uh, the couple had a second kid shortly after, totaling three kids. That included the boy Sierra had from a previous relationship, which you don't, don't hear more anymore about him. So, this all came from the Ledger Inquirer, which is a newspaper in Georgia, Georgia. I'm assuming, and date Dateline episode. What they saw, I think, it's, I think it's what it's called. Yeah, a Dateline episode. When we got married, things kind of took a downhill turn. We started arguing a lot immediately, explained Jared. He says oh, the, crazy to think you, you know. should you should wait maybe longer than three months before you get married. Yep. He <laughs> says their disagreement started on their wedding night when the two had their first argument. Even with all the arguing and yelling, he said there was never any physical abuse. After three years of marriage, Jared and Sierra separated in 2006. The relationship got much better as they co-parented their two, two children, according to Jared, and by 2009, they divorced. So... A lot of people you get in a marriage, you're like, this is not going to work. So they got a divorce, but they're co-parenting their kids like responsible adults. Right. 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 Her decomposing body was found on June 8th, six days after she was killed. When apartment managers went in to inspect her home before she was to move out, the first thing maintenance workers discovered was the apartment air conditioning. The apartment's air conditioner had frozen and locked. So someone turned it so far down that it froze. Like, trying to keep the secret of a body in that room. There was an odd smell, but they thought that might be from a clogged toilet on the ground floor. I know that feeling. Mm -hmm. They found that someone had slashed furniture in the apartment and everything was in disarray. When finally one went upstairs and came running back shouting, call 911. So, her body was upstairs in their bedroom for six days. But it's also... I think I'm going to point this out here in a minute, but she's trying to move back to Indiana with the two kids. Aha, there's the connection. So all her Sorry. apartment is like full of shit because you're trying to pack things, probably throw things away, sort things. It's a pain in the ass to move. So the apartment looks cluttered and, you know, full of shit, but it probably has have to do with the fact that she's trying to move or throw things away. And so they can't really tell what all went on there. That's our strategy here. <laughs> No one's going to believe it. <laughs> when emergency medical services summoned police at 2.25 p.m. that day, officers walked into a chaotic scene. Police inspected the scene, found a bottle of Clorox on the floor beside the body, on which bleach had been poured, fading the woman's blue jogging suit. Bleach also was on the sofa downstairs and on a cloth by the sink in the kitchen. So someone is just like dumping bleach, like hastily. This stuff is dirty. In the sink lay a butcher knife the seven, with seven-inch blade on it and the victim's blood. Other cleaning products lay on the floor by an open cabinet. The stab wound that killed her was to the back of her neck, penetrating her spine. <sighs> on the floor downstairs, police found her Verizon cell phone, which she had not used since the evening her ex-husband picked up the kids. The phone screen had Jared's left thumbprint on it. He said that his prints were on the phone because he and his ex-wife had passed it back and forth as she spoke with their oldest son and other family in Indiana. Police also found a man's watch wrapped up in bed sheets, and the watch had a DNA profile on it that remains unmatched. So they're saying, so they're saying you were the last person to see her alive and your thumbprint is on her cell phone it's like yeah but we passed it back and forth because i was there and we were talking to her kid like she handed me the phone of course my fingerprint's gonna be on it 
Which is true. Even if I picked up your phone, I'd be like, here's your phone. And pick it up. Someone's calling you and your fingerprints then on the phone. Yeah, it doesn't really make anyone a murderer. Mm-mm. Her hair was found. Well, no, the bitch shed. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> Professionally shedding. They could honestly, for the amount that I shed, someone probably at some point has taken my hair home from work. They're going to be like, why is her hair at your house? You're like, I don't know, babe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sarah was born in Indianapolis in 1983 and was working as an LPN at Columbus Regional Hospital while working towards her RN degree. She was a devoted mother to three children and proudly served in the Army Reserves. Sierra was also dating again and had met a man online named Ryan Morgan, who lived in Indiana. He was planning on coming to Georgia to help her move, but he had stopped receiving phone communications from her and decided that he had been ghosted and was mad that he wasted money on a damn plane ticket. Like that, you know, because she wouldn't respond. He's like, thanks for letting me waste money. I guess I'll just talk to you never. Because he had no idea. Or did he? As Sierra's moving day approached, Kendra noticed her friend's daily texts and phone calls had stopped completely. I didn't talk to her on the second. So on the third, I messaged her and got nothing. So I was like, okay, she's busy. Called her. Then on the fourth, started getting worried some more. You wondered, you know, is is she ditching me here? I thought, okay, she dropped her phone in the toilet. But then you think about, okay, well... There's other phones in the world. Or send me an email. Hey, I'm not ignoring you. Samella was worried, too. She'd help plan a goodbye party for Sierra at the hospital. But Sierra never showed up. I remember sitting around the table, all the co-workers looking at each other. And you fully expected she was going to walk in the door, huh? I wanted her to, but I knew something was wrong. Samella was at work on June 8th when Sierra's brother called her with the news. I answered the phone, and he told me. Um, we just found Sierra dead. Jared was told that an officer and a counselor would be coming out to speak with him and the kids after the discovery of Sierra's body, but he was arrested instead and the kids were taken away. So he has the kids for a week and hasn't heard from his ex-wife at all. And it's like, I, and that didn't concern him. That didn't alarm him. So, and friends haven't heard from her that she talks to every day that she sees every day and no one is like connecting the dots that she's not alive anymore anything so the one friend was like i thought maybe she had dropped her phone in the toilet or something so she didn't have a phone to to text me back but she's like there's a lot of access to other internet that she could have sent me something saying hey i'll get to you when i can but you know i broke my phone if it was me i would have hit you up on literally every watch me annoy the fuck out of you I'm like, oh, you still have you still have your college email? I'm going to send you an email. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I don't know if I can get into it. I'll be like, God, I'm just trying to take a nap. <laughs> so it was, and I think she finally didn't attend a surprise party that people were like, maybe something's wrong. A surprise party for her. She didn't attend it. What? what? They're like, you're always supposed to have the one person that distracts them all day. Yeah. And then it's like, I think she oh. knew about the party because it was a going away party. Oh, okay. But still, so she didn't attend her own going away party. <laughs> what? Know? So that's when everyone's like, man. Jared then has the kids and they, he's been, I think he knows his, something happened to his ex-wife. And I don't know if he's con- assumed that she's probably dead, but you, you're not going to just like blurt it out to the small children who are six and seven. By the way, your mom's dead. Like he's not telling them that. They don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And so- a counselor is going to come to talk to the kids. Okay, fine. You know, but then he just he comes out and he goes, the police pulled a gun on me and told me to put my hands in the air. And he goes and, and, sl- like you just don't care. <laughs> and slammed me against the car and arrested me. And I was just like, what is going on? He asked me if the kids were okay. I said, yes, they're fine. He said, they're going to send some officers out to talk to me. And they're sending a, a counselor to talk to the kids. Moments later, Jared saw a woman he assumed was that counselor in his front yard. As I approached, I looked. As you can see out of my peripheral vision, an officer approaching me with his gun drawn. And he raised it up and he said, don't move. And so I put my hands up. He pressed me against the wall and put my hands behind my back and cuffed me. Before he could get his bearings, Jared says his kids were whisked off in an SUV. Jared okayed a search of his home and was taken to the police station for an interview. The conversation started amicably. Jared said the last time he'd seen Sierra was six days before. 
he and the kids had stopped by to pick up some toys before her move to Indiana. Kids went in, gave her a hug, they ran right upstairs and started playing with some of their toys and watching TV and stuff. How long were you there for? Uh, seemed like a couple hours. He said they hadn't talked since. That wasn't unusual. We didn't call each other a whole lot when the other one had the kids, usually. Uh, she wasn't like one of those that wanted to call every day. Detectives wanted to know about the state of Jared and Sierra's relationship. How had they been getting along? He said they hadn't had any issues lately, but admitted things between them were strange. What's been the problem? No problem. I just... Once we broke up, mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, there was no reason to have an argument with her anymore after that. They also asked Jared how he felt about Sierra's decision to move to Indiana. I didn't feel any kind of way about it, really. Did she ask you? So she just said, I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah, but I mean, that was her. After about an hour, the interview took a turn when detectives hit Jared with a revelation. As far as they could tell, no one had heard from Sierra since Jared's visit with the kids. Meaning, Jared was quite possibly the last person known to have seen Sierra alive. I feel like you're more than it's in with that I'm responsible for Sierra's death. I don't know. Right now, I don't. I, I, the only thing I know is that you're the last one that I know of to see her. And so far, you're the last one I know that was there. Now, is there something that you want to talk to me about? Are you sure about that? I'm sure. Jared also happens to be African American. Oh, so no. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. Oh, no. It could have, because normally they're really nice to the, you know, the husband did it. It's always the husband did it. But usually they're like, come on in, you need a drink. No they do a good cop, bad yeah, cop. Yeah, tell me how your relationship is. Like, they do not arrest you. And especially if you're not lawyering up what or would anything. Have, what would they have, what was their basis for arrest? That he, I don't know if they're like, you're under the arrest for the murder of your wife. I don't know if they said that, but they've got video, the interrogation video, where he's he does not have an attorney. He's like, you can search my house. I don't. Like, but he just had to get roughed up, arrested. I don't know. Well, if they don't read to your rights, it's like null and void anyway, right? Yeah. And they might have read him as right. He's like, it just was so odd. They told me a counselor was coming and then I got arrested. How do you prove that you weren't read your Miranda rights? Well, I think mm-hmm. the cops have the... You, now you sign something, I think. Oh. Yeah. You well, have to and you it. can't... It's against the law to just arrest someone without telling them why. Yeah. You have to tell them why. But you can detain somebody without telling mm-hmm. them why. Hmm. So maybe they detained him. Any, anyways... And anything I've watched, it's usually they're real nice to the husband saying, hey, do you know what happened here? Like, this is some crazy shit. When's right, the last guy? time you talked to your ex-wife? Like, they want to be like, is she a bitch? Like, yeah. Do you think she's a bitch? I think she probably will. You know, they get him talking. It's not like I'm going to arrest you right away so that you're on the defensive and won't say anything. You know, it just seemed odd. Um, yeah, he gave them permission to search his house, didn't have a lawyer, and... Hadn't spoken to his wife in six days, though. Ex-wife. So it's like, if you and I are divorced, let's just say our daughter is six, and you have her for an entire week, and I'm not going to call or text or something... To be like, what? How is that she? That just depends on how our relationship. That's went. true. Yeah, I guess she's not coming to get you. If we didn't, mm-hmm. if we didn't he like said, you at all, and yeah. she's supposed to be with me, for you, it wouldn't surprise me that you didn't call. Oh, if we, if you were angry with me, yeah, yeah, I guess, and he said that it's just not our relationship, is what he said. So maybe that's it. Just seems as you a mom, I think I just my level of anxiety. I just need to know, hey, is she fine? Like, yeah, she's fine. Okay, like, yeah, I just need to know a base level that everything's okay. <gasps> Clutter and disorder inside the apartment made it difficult to tell if this had been a botched robbery with no forced entry. A friend of Sierra said that Jared was violent and often broke things and was physically abusive towards Sierra. Others said that Sierra just wasn't the type of person to stay in an abusive relationship. So there's some conflicting, like we fought, but it never got physical. We threw some things at each other, but small things. Threw a remote control one time. Did you do that? Actually, they did. That was actually in the... It was. It was in the episode. (laughs) It was. I promise. (laughs) And whether he broke her laptop on purpose. Damn. And what Samela said about her conversations with Sierra caught the officer's ear. Because it certainly didn't match Jared's story. This post-divorce relationship was more than just a little strained. Samela says Sierra had long confided in her that it was tumultuous. 
She would tell me how he would break her computers, break TVs. Just, I'm mad at you, bang, here's one for your computer? Oh, yeah, yeah. The way the stories went, Jared would lash out if he couldn't get his way. Did he ever get physical with her, Sam, as far as you knew? She told me that, yes. But you didn't see any bruising or scratches or anything like that, huh? No, if she did, she would hide it. She's the type that want to be strong. She didn't want you to be upset or worried about her. As for Jared, he told us any stories about abuse in his relationship with Sierra just weren't true. Were there any hands-on altercations here? Her on you, you on her? Absolutely not. She threw some things, small things, not like a remote control. Jared told us anyone who knew Sierra well knew that she wouldn't put up with abuse. She was a very fierce woman. She had her way. She's not going to let you tell her any different. And... She's very determined. But don't give me any ideas. Yeah. <laughs> no, not my laptop. Not my laptop. <laughs> so Jared just believed they were successfully co-parenting. I had nothing bad to say. It was like they're like, Aren't you mad she's moving to Indiana with your kids? No, I didn't really care one way or the other. Not, I don't know. He just seemed really lax about it. Like, well, that's what she decided she wanted to do. And so I don't know if you can stop your It depends on the state. Yeah, like can I stop you from leaving Indiana? With our kid, if I have... It depends. If it's uh, if you get full custody, mm-hmm. I think you get to decide in the state of Indiana. Okay. If it's if they decide shared custody, then no. Okay. So it was just like maybe he was fine with her going back with her family, and he was going to take the kids during the summer when summer was normal and not year-round school, which he might have been fine with that, that they'll be in Indiana during the school year, and I'll have them during the summer, and that's I have no problem with it. The kids were officially interviewed five days after their mother had been killed. They're pretty young, and that's kind of a while. The police talked to the children the day they discovered Sierra's body. What grade are you in? Um, kindergarten. The kids confirmed that for at least some period of time, Mom and Dad had been inside the apartment without them. Why would Daddy leave you and your brother in the car? Mm -hmm. You don't know? He never leaves us in the car. Here they are talking to a forensic interviewer a few days later. Why do you think Dad made you stay in the car? Maybe he's doing something? She told investigators she saw her dad. What was he doing? I forgot. I mean, was he standing? Was he sitting? Was he... He was standing. Was he just standing there doing nothing? Did he have something in his hand? She says he told her to go back to the car, but she says she peeked in again. Investigators were interested in what she saw and what she says she heard. Mom was too laughing. But she she sounded like she was somewhere. Daddy wasn't in the living room. He was still upstairs. Mom was still laughing though. Her brother says he got out of the car, too, and he also heard the laughter. Or was it something else? What'd you hear? Uh, laughing and screaming. You heard screaming? Oh. Yeah. Tell me, did you hear, were they just saying, like, screaming noises or something else? Like, like laughing screaming. Yeah. Jared was arrested on murder charges and spent 15 months in jail before making bond, during which time he lost custody of his kids and was prohibited from speaking with them or anyone else in his ex-wife's family. So now you lost custody and you can't talk to your kids. He says when he was locked up in the Muscogee County Jail, Muscogee, yeah, things were bad. I was like, well, jail isn't supposed to be fun. (laughs) No, no. Upon his release, Jared began attending church, and eventually met up with an old high school classmate that believed in his innocence, and they eventually got married. He says he didn't do it. So, let's get married. Yeah. Anything else? And he was like, she's interviewed, and it was like, he said, we should probably just wait till things get sorted out. And she's like, no, I want to marry you now. It's like, okay, let's get married. Okay. Do we have a cab Right behind you. (laughs) Jared was not prosecuted until January 2017. This is a long time. His friends at the church were willing to help him prove his innocence because they did not believe Jared was capable of murdering anyone. So he had an attorney, but it was, and the attorney was good, but it was a small practice. So the church members are like, hey, we'll play paralegal if you need us. And it's like, all right, thank you. Thanks, man. 
One church member happened to be a software analysis, and he helped decipher cell phone tower communication, proving a very narrow timeline for the murder to take place. According to the cell records, Sierra was alive and on her phone at 6.39 p.m. Three minutes later, 6.42 p.m., Jared's cell records indicate he is still at Sierra's apartment. And 26 minutes after that, Jared's phone pings off a tower that the friends estimate is a good 15 to 20 minute drive away from Sierra's apartment. There's not enough time here for him to have committed the crime. And the, the telephone traffic persuades us of that? Yes. The math doesn't work. It just simply doesn't work. At least by their calculations. Then Jared's supporters looked at the bloody crime scene photos, which raised more questions in their minds. How do you walk out of an apartment without completely showering, changing your clothes, and doing all that? That would add even more time. Because tick-tock, tick-tock, he's got to get to that other tower. Absolutely. And he wasn't wet, and he didn't change clothes, and there were none of his clothes ever found with any evidence on right. him. Prosecutor Wesley Lambertus and defense attorney Mike Reynolds battled over what the two children actually witnessed while waiting outside and whether the kids were coached to support the prosecution's theory of what happened. Oh, the kids are the star witnesses. Oh, oh that's never good. The six and seven-year-old. The boy, now 13, said he recalled saying goodbye to my mother and getting into my dad's car. How long did you wait? I don't know exactly, but a long time, he said. What did you hear while you were outside? We could hear a little bit of screaming and laughing, he said. It was coming from upstairs. He described it as screaming, then laughing, on and on, mostly screaming, and said the scream eventually died out. I laughed. She laughed. The toaster laughed. <laughs> I, I shot, shot the, the toaster. toaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He said he stepped inside the apartment door, saw someone's shadow, and ran back to the car. The prosecution asked whether he truly could not recall more details or just didn't want to. I just really don't remember, he said. His little sister is now 12. She remembered more. What was your last memory of your mother? Saying goodbye to her and walking out of the house, she said. She said her mother seemed happy as usual and her father seemed maybe a little antsy. How long did you wait outside? Maybe 20 to 30 minutes or so, she said. During this time, Jared re-entered Sierra's apartment to get the rest of the kids' things. Prosecutor Lambertus told jurors that in the boy's account to investigators, he described his mother's voice as getting smaller and smaller and smaller. The evidence shows Sierra Ingram bled to death after the knife severed an artery in her neck, so most likely the boy heard the last sounds his mother made as she died. Twice the girl appeared through a mail slot in the mother's apartment, she said. The first time she saw nothing. The second time she saw her father changing his shirt with a white bottle of cleaner nearby, she said. Mm -hmm. He saw her and waved for her to go away, she said. So she went back to the car. When her father finally came out to drive them to his Harris County home, there was a kind of a weird smell emanating, the girl testified. So, I'm trying to picture, our kid is four, but would six and seven-year-olds sit in the car early June in Georgia for 20 to 30 minutes? Like, I just feel like, mm. so they're saying they, the kids came to see what was going on and got shooed back to the car, but I would just feel like. Maybe they were having a quickie. Screaming. Yeah, he's really killing her. Had, well, you haven't you told haven't us that yet. He, no, that's what they're yet. saying. That the prosecution is saying. But I'm saying what really happened. Okay. So, I don't know. It just seems odd that the kids would be even willing to wait out there that long. So, maybe that's why they kept coming up to the door. But our kid would be screaming herself if she is not the center of attention for that long. And so, it would be like you wouldn't be able to keep both scenarios of murdering someone and keeping your kid quiet at the same time because she would come find your ass and be like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Time to <laughs> go. I don't think she'd say, what the fuck are she, you doing? She said, there is a hummingbird outside. Come with me now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. And also, you think about looking in a mail slot, like how far is your range of vision? Like left or, you know, you can't really look that far. I don't know. Well, some mail slots have you have one on slot. the outside. Yeah, you? like on the ground. I know. In, from the porch. Oh, okay. And you yeah. can just look out the window. <laughs> Defense attorney Reynolds countered that such details were not noted in the children's first interview with investigators and must have been suggested to them later. 
She never said one word about bleach before, the attorney said. Adding in their earlier interviews, the girl told authorities she smelled nothing coming from her father. Reynolds also raised doubts about the children's concept of time. A minute to a child could be 30 minutes. It could be an hour, he said. I agree with that. Yeah, the kids have no idea what time is. No. Ours perpetually says last year for something that happened last night (laughs) or the day before. It's last year. Well, technically speaking, she's right. Yeah. (laughs) The earlier interviews were sifted through by Jared's church members, and they discovered ones in which the kids say they heard and saw nothing. So the very first, first interviews, but they're not counting them as official. They're being interviewed, you know, in the cozy, the safe kids room by a professional, someone trained to interview kids. And they're saying nothing. I see nothing. I hear nothing. Professional someone. Do nothing. Say nothing. The friends then turned to those interviews with the kids, and they transcribed every word, including the interview where Jared's son says he heard screaming. But in the police file, the friends found an earlier interview. The son's story about what he heard on that occasion was completely different. Here's that interview. Did you hear anything when Daddy was inside? I didn't hear nothing. Jared's supporters wondered where his son could have gotten the idea of screaming. The first time it comes up on the tapes is in a question from police just hours after they found Sierra's body. Was Mama screaming or Daddy screaming in the hall? Nobody was screaming or nothing? There's absolutely nothing incriminating about their initial testimonies. Those statements that come out later are, in my opinion, conditioning. What do you mean? I mean that the police are suggesting something for the children to say. And if you suggest something to a child of that age who's impressionable, it's possible that they may say, yeah, I guess it could have been that. And there was something else Laura picked up on. I could hear it, one of the investigators whispering under their breath, trying to tell the children to say something on their recorded interviews. You remember that? Say yes. I mean, do you remember that? Another audio clip contains an officer suggesting that the kids might have heard screaming. So you can hear a police officer like on audio saying, did you hear scream? Did you hear screaming? Like suggesting it to the kids. That's what they did in the freaking the uh, Anamatana walk. Uh, God. Oh, God. Making a murder. Making a murder. Well, they were like, what did you do to her head? I don't know. What do you want? Um, uh, We cut her hair. No. no. (laughs) (laughs) So her hair wasn't cut. I don't know, man. So, yeah, they're, and I don't know if the officer is doing it intentionally, but he's trying to ask them what they know. It's like, did you hear screaming? And it's like, they're like, maybe I did. Now maybe I did. That. Maybe I didn't. And then, and another point, you can hear an investigator telling the kids to say yes when she's asked a question. And she says it quite, like, say yes. You know, like that, when she asks a question to the kids. Now, this could be that they're on audio and the kid nodded and she needs him to say verbally yes to say it out loud or that she knows he said this yeah, earlier can- and is trying to get him to say it again on audio or she's leading him. Yeah. And it's like, say yes. Like, say it. Okay, yes. <laughs> yes to what? Aren't they supposed to say the the so-and-so is nodding yes? Yeah, that's what, yeah, you're right. That's what it is supposed to be. So it just seems odd again. So now the kids, and kids want to please. They want to tell you what you Especially want Especially that hear. age. Yeah, they're like, and they want they don't want you to be upset and they want to hear what's right and being told they're doing a good job. And so they're going to make it up. Speaking of making things up, for example, like the the text I got earlier today asking if our dog had bit our neighbor kid by chance. And I was like, "What?" And I was like, "I don't A our dog doesn't bite anyone, but Daniel. And even if you're going to, you know, every He nibbles owner, me cuz he likes me a little too much." Yeah, she's like, "Did And that's what she said. Did she get bit or nibbled?" She I was like, "Where?" She's like, "She has a mark on her leg that she told her grandma she got bit by Boris." And I was like, "Excuse." I was like, "I don't know anything about this." And so every pet, uh, pet owner will say, "My dog doesn't bite anyone." So I could say that and they make sure, sure. But she won't come near Boris because she's afraid of him. So he's always in his like cage room or outside or inside the opposite of wherever she is. So they're never even in contact with one another. And I was like, and I saw the spot on her leg that had a Band-Aid. And I didn't ask her about it because I didn't want to like re-prompt her. And I was like, she would have had to stick her whole leg in the cage with him to get him to bite her. And she won't even go near it. So and like, 
her mom wasn't mad at me or anything. She was just like, okay. She goes, I figured that, that it was nothing, but she had told. Now, the question is, did grandma say, what's that mark? Did you get bitten? Or, like, did, is that a dog bite? Like, grandma might be prompting her and not even realizing it. And the it. kids go, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's the voice that she would do? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so, no fault to the kid. Like, she didn't do anything wrong. It's just, you know, she thinks that's what her grandma wants to hear. But I was like, literally, they it could not have happened because they're never near each other. Besides the fact that Boris would never fight anyone. You such a sweet little guy. You're such a big boy. Who's do do I do that to him a lot. The Ace Ventura thing. Oh, man. So anyways, but you want to believe kids. You're not supposed to not believe kids just because they're kids. And then we have a jailhouse snitch came forward that the prosecution decided was credible. And they insisted that the children's stories were never coached or had ever changed, only added more details over the years. Some people say that trauma, like you recover memory as you get older, so you're not making it up or adding things, you're remembering things. I mean, it is trauma if your mom died, but in the moment you were just in the car. Mm -hmm. Like, what would your brain start to like pick up on? Because you didn't know for another six days, like as a seven-year-old to remember something that happened a week ago and then to be retro <laughs> retrograde traumatized by it. Does I don't that make know. sense? I don't know. I don't know. So, but not, I mean, it's very possible. I have no idea. Once or twice in my life, I have not known what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another point in dispute was whether a struggle ensued during the stabbing. The apartment was already a mess because Sierra was planning to move back to Indiana. Boxes were stacked up and some items were left out to be packed. In the upstairs bedroom, a TV was knocked partially off its stand. The defense said the woman fought for her life, yet Jared Ingram had no bruises or scratches or anything to indicate a struggle on him. It's just not logical, said Reynolds. But also, if you got scratched or scuffed up, you had six days for it to heal before anyone was like found her body. The TV was not proof of a struggle, the prosecution countered. She was stabbed from behind. She was ambushed. She never had a chance to fight back, he said. The attorneys also debated over whether Jared had the time and the motivation to kill his ex-wife under unusual circumstances. Though they were divorced, he had a key to her apartment because he sometimes babysat for her at night as she was a nurse who worked 12-hour shifts. He had lost a job at Fort Benning when the vendor he worked for lost a contract and was working whatever odd jobs he could get. He was behind on his child support, though. Sierra Ingram in court filings claimed he was 12000 in errors. So that 12000 in a hole, I guess. Having been ordered to pay $550 a month since October 15, 2009, the total over the time would have come to 17000 Jared said the court had not taken into account a time when she lived with him under the agreement that she would pay no rent and he would pay no child support. So, well, so he owed her money. Among the first witnesses in the trial was Sierra Ingram's mother, Sue Barrett, who now has custody of for the children. She said the two were in dispute over his owing thousands in child support. All Sierra did was work long shifts as a nurse and care for her children. The mother said when asked whether her daughter had been dating anyone, not that I'm aware of because Sierra was all about the kids, the kids in work. Lamberta said Jared was under increased pressure to come up with money as he faced losing his driver's license if he didn't pay up. Without a license, he would not have been able to get a job, the prosecution said. He did not want her to have custody of the children. So they're, that's saying they're his motivation. Reynolds said that it was not enough to drive someone to kill. If every spouse resorted to murder after losing a job and falling behind on child support, we'd literally have bodies all over the streets. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> because of the imminent shift in the family's living arrangement, the, the timing of the events the day prosecutors believe Sierra died was crucial. Reynolds argued Sierra's last cell phone communication was from 635 to 6.39 p.m., and her ex-husband could not have killed her. Slashed furniture in the apartment, poured bleach to destroy evidence, changed his clothes, loaded up the kids for the ride home, and the time allotted. I think it was 11 minutes, is what they're saying, was the time frame. But, I mean, it kind of could be, maybe? I don't know. A police officer timed the drive from Lake Bottom to Jarrett's home in Harrison County at 11 minutes. So, like, they're saying it's plausible, but it would be tight that he could, could have killed her and cleaned up half ass and then made it back home the prosecutor in his uh, conclusion called jurors attention back to the children's testimony calling them the heart and soul of the case everything else 
corroborates what the children heard and saw. He told jurors later, adding, what evidence is there that the, that the children told you anything but the truth? Well, they wouldn't think they were lying. I mean, Jared Ingram was charged with malice or deliberate murder with felony murder for killing someone in the commission of a felony with aggravated assault with, and with using a knife to commit a crime. Jared took the stand in his own defense. I don't know if I can get any audio of that or not, but that's rare, isn't it? Like, man, not very many people do that. And the defense argued there wasn't a shred of physical evidence linking Jared to the actual murder. No DNA, no prints on the possible murder weapon, nothing. In that bloody scene at Sierra's apartment, all the prosecution pointed to was Jared's fingerprint on her cell phone. He was over at that townhouse quite a bit. It would not have been uncommon for his fingerprints to be all over this place. Jared's attorney was confident the jurors would understand the facts if they heard from Jared directly. I knew that he was going to make a good witness, most particularly because he was well-spoken. You took the stand. Always risky. Rarely advised. But you did it. There was no question. Why? Why'd you take the stand? I'd been waiting six years to be able to stand up in front of a jury and stand up in front of a judge and say, I didn't do this. But it exposes you to aggressive cross-examination by the prosecutor. It does. And that was rough. It seemed like he was doing everything in his power to kind of get a rise out of me. Provoke you so the jury could... Exactly. Show the jury the monster. So this is a poor set of facts that have come together against you. You're the last known adult to have seen her. The kids are saying they've heard screaming in the house. The father acting very suspiciously. Bleach. It's, everything seems to be consistent with you going in and killing Sierra and doing a rough cleanup and then coming out. Absolutely not. If I had done a quick rough cleanup, there would have been something on me. There would have been something in the car. The police had the car in their custody. They combed it inch to inch. They, they found no blood. They found no bleach. He was cross-examined for 12 hours over a three-day period. Then the jury deliberated for two days and for some weird reason had a week off and then resume deliberations for two hours. You're watching the faces as they file in? I am. Very intently. And nobody's given anything away. And then what? You hear the words? They start reading off the counts one at a time. Uh, and it's just not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Jared Ingram. Not guilty of the murder of Sierra Ingram. I started crying. I've never in my life cried in happiness. Never. And in that moment, I cried in happiness. May 2018, Jared Ingram was acquitted by a jury. As he wrote later to the Ledger Inquirer one day after his acquittal, my family's ordeal is not over. According to him, he now has to find a way to rebuild a relationship with his children and go through juvenile court and fight for custody. So he wants his kids back. I have to try to get the arrest expunged from my record, repair my credit, and petition Fort Benning, where I was once employed, to reconsider allowing me access to the post. So even though you were found not guilty, like, your life is still all kind of fucked up from it. So they had, what, just insufficient evidence that... And the jury just did not agree. I don't know what their, like, official statement... I didn't... They didn't interview any juror members to say, like, oh, we think he did it, but the prosecution did not prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. They didn't say any of that, or they really just was like, nah, he didn't do this? Nah. Nah, <laughs> nah man. Jared has spoken to his kids since losing custody in 2012. They spent six years with people who believe I did this. When you're grieving, especially over a loss like this kind, I feel like you need someone to blame, and for six years, I was that guy. Jared says he was also that guy on job applications that no one wanted to hire despite being declared innocent, which further complicated his effort to rebuild his life. I have to rebuild everything from scratch, but God's been good, says Jared, and my wife and I know we have a good life together. And once we are able to get the children back and complete our family, I think we're going to have a great life. Jared Ingram tells News 3 that despite the challenges he's endured following the murder of his ex-wife, he's still able to find joy through his faith and hopes that the person responsible for his ex-wife's murder is brought to justice. So they never... No, it is unsolved. I wonder if there's any part of him that thinks, fucking bitch had to go off and get killed and ruin my life. Or did he actually do it? Like, because he could... I don't know. If you watch him on the show, and you see, the feeling you get is that he didn't do this, and that he was willing to take the stand and be like, I know you cannot fuck me up on this because I didn't do it. He's well-spoken and articulate and very calm so it was like i think he made a good candidate to testify on his own behalf because most people are fucking idiots and but just because of the way you perceive a person doesn't mean they're not guilty it's just 
it's possible that he did kill her. I think he had the time. And I don't think the kids are reliable enough to say one way or the other. If she had been sexually assaulted, I almost feel like I would believe a stranger assault more readily. Not that her ex-husband couldn't sexually assault her, but that it, you know, she if someone saw her coming and going from her apartment, she saw the husband leave with the kids, know she's alone, and then, you know, raped and killed her in her apartment. That so you know the scary shit that could just happen to you in regular life because no one's safe anywhere at all, especially women. So, but they never plot, they never lay that out as a possibility because no one ever saw anyone, and they were saying you're the last one to see her. But they didn't talk anything else about any other surveillance. It's like we saw some shady looking dude coming and going from the stairwell of your apartment. There was nothing of that. So it's just like if he didn't do it, who the fuck did? I don't know. But yeah. I want to know. I want it. See, it's an unsolved. And when I first started watching it, I didn't realize it was going to be unsolved by definition because the jury acquitted him. Now, the prosecution says just because he's found not guilty doesn't mean he didn't do it. It just means we didn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt mm-hmm. to the jury. For Sierra's friends and family, the reaction was much different. I was surprised. And I think that my surprise came mostly from the children's testimony. I don't believe for a minute that anyone coached them into saying any of that. They told the jury what they saw and what they heard. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. And if you believe it, it means that he's guilty. Right. You think Jared murdered Sierra? I do. Does she need justice? She does. I don't know how they're going to get it. But the prosecutor says not guilty is not the same as innocent. I do think that he is the murderer, and we would not have tried him if we didn't have confidence in that. I don't, I mean, but they can't ever... Retry him again. No. No, you're right, they can't. It would be... Double Jeopardy. I don't know. That's a good movie, actually. With Ashley Judd. (laughs) It is. It's a good movie. It is. (laughs) So, I think that's all I got. It's storming now. Boris has been a prince this whole time, haven't you? The prince of poop. The dog. And uh, tell them where to find us. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Who's Your Homicide. You can like us on Facebook. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> In the, the the podcast places. Yeah, all, them, all those. Where they live, where they park the podcast. Where they park the podcast. In the parking podcast garage. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, we have a Patreon where there's stuff there we're going to record and add more stuff there a dollar a month gets you two extra episodes that's 50 cents come on folks what in this goddamn world can you buy for 50 fucking cents that's what I thought nothing I mean sometimes they have good deals at Kroger (laughs) (laughs) and for honest to goodness stay out of the corn. corn